are a guest, do me a favor. In the seat back in front of you, there's a Connect card. If you just fill that out anytime during the message, drop that off at the Connect desk. Man, I would love to be able to get connected with you, just to get to know you a little bit more. And as we're getting to know each other, let me just share a few things about myself, because it's important to get to know um, who you're going to spend your time with. And so my name is Byron. I already told you that. Uh, me and my wife, Ashley, have been married for 15 years. Can we give it up for Ashley for not divorcing me? I ain't easy to love. Um, and we have two beautiful girls. Uh, I'm left-handed. Where's all my left-handed people at? Anybody? Look at you. Look at you. We're the only ones in our right mind. Come on, right? And I, I run. And not just like most of you running from your problems, I run for fun. Uh, those are just some things about me as you're getting to know us a little bit more as a church. Let me introduce you a little bit to our church. Uh, we have really two important things that we do. One is called Next Steps. It's an opportunity for you to get to know us a little bit better. And hopefully redemption feels like home. Next Step is today and every first Sunday of the month at 2 o'clock, we have some food and we watch your kids. It's a great time. You say, you'll feed me and watch my kids. I'll be there. Amen. Uh, and then what's, if you really want to get to know redemption, you got to come to a first Wednesday prayer meeting. What we always say is this, there ain't no Wednesday like a first Wednesday. And if you can only make it to one service, make it a first Wednesday prayer service. Because here, here's what we believe and what we've seen every time we gather together and prayer and when we gather together as a church, there is not a Sunday and there is not a Wednesday that goes by that God doesn't show up in an amazing way. We've seen salvations and healings and miracles. We've seen souls be saved. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen bodies be made whole. We've seen so many incredible things at these prayer meetings. I would love for you to come and witness and see it for yourself. Because at Redemption, like we believe the Bible. One of our goals is to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, and that's where we're at today. We're in the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 5, and on first Wednesdays, we're, we're studying the move of the Holy Spirit, and on Sundays, what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Acts. We're learning how the Spirit had moved in the early church, and we're praying, God, would you please do that again here in our church? Like, we are a, a Spirit-filled, Bible-believing praying type church. And if you're going to make redemption your home, then you also need to understand that. And that's what we're learning as we're walking through this book of Acts. And here's been the thought that's been guiding us throughout this entire series. If you're taking notes, which we are a note-taking church, pull out that note sheet, write this down. Here's what it is. If God did it then, then God can do it now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what we read in the Bible was not just for then, but it's also for now? Like this book is not just an old book, it's an eternal book. It is timeless, therefore it is always timely. Like how boring would it be for you to read the Bible and be like, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I could never do. Uh, there's a whole, this doesn't apply to my life. That was then, but that's not for me. That's how some people read the Bible. But I want you to know that if it's in God's word, it's for your good. And if it happened then, then it can happen now because the Bible doesn't just tell us who God is or what God did, but it tells us who God is and what God does. And if it happened then, it can happen again. And we're spending this time as a church, whether it's at the prayer meeting or whether it's at Sunday, walking through the book of Acts and learning what does it look like for us to be the church? Not just any church, not just a church, because the last thing people need is just a church. What we need and what Southeast Texas needs is the church to become the church. And in order for us to learn how to do that, we got to go back to the basics, back to the Bible, and we got to see what is it that the first church did? What do they have? And then we begin to pray and say, God, would you do that again here? 
Would you do that again in our lives? Because if it happened then, it can happen now. I tell you all of that to really set a framework because today is gonna be a little bit different than what you would normally experience on a Sunday here at Redemption. We are gonna have a first Wednesday on a Sunday today. Now, don't worry, we're not gonna get too crazy Right? I mean, we had the ushers check for tambourines and flags on the way in, so they've already been confiscated. Like, we're not going to get too wild, but we are going to read the Bible, and at the end of the message, we're going to do what the Bible says. Because it's not enough for us to know the word, we've got to do the word, and, you know, revelation without application will not lead for transformation in your life. You've got to have both. And so we're going to read the word, we're going to learn, and then we're going to apply it together as a congregation. The sermon title for today is this. What is the meaning of miracles? Today we're going to see a, a miracle. And it, it's not just one miracle, it's a lot of miracles. We're going to see something that's, that's crazy. Like, I'm going to read it, and you're immediately going to be like, that's impossible. And I'm going to say, I know. That's why it's called a miracle. Because by definition, miracles are things that are impossible, but our God does the impossible, Right? Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that God still moves? Do you believe that God still shows up in power? Do you believe that God still wants to show himself true, not only in your life, in this room, and all around Southeast Texas? Do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe that if it happened then, it can happen now? Yes. Well, I'm going to share some stories with you at the end of the message that's going to really build your faith and, and motivate you. So if you have your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. We'll read it all, and then we'll work our way through it. Now, many signs and wonders. You say, well, what does that word mean? It means miracles. Okay, a sign points to something, and a wonder makes you wonder. Hmm, that's interesting, right? Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done. How often? Once in a blue moon? That sounds a lot. Among the people... By the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of them, the rest, dared to join them. But the believers held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the number of the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, and they laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, lest his shadow might fall on them, and they were healed. His shadow fell on them, and they were healed. Look what it says next. It says, the people also gathered from the towns all around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, that's demonic, and they were all healed. Now, for some people, whenever I read this, your first thought is like, oh, yeah, that sounds normal, right? Because you grew up in that type of church. You've learned this. You've read this, and you're like, yeah, I've seen this. Others of you, you've been coming to redemption, and you've got a few stories you could tell yourself about some of the amazing things that God's done not only in your life, but in the person sitting next to your life. Others of you, you're immediately going to be like, no, that doesn't happen. I know. Can I just remind you? That's why they're called miracles. They don't happen. And, and there's some reasons why we struggle with this. So the first reason is maybe you weren't raised in church, but instead you were brought up in a, in a naturalistic worldview. What is naturalism? Naturalism is you only believe in what you see. And that's the reason you don't see miracles. You don't see them because you don't believe in them. And so you have a, a closed worldview that, that there is no God and that he's detached and far off if he does exist, but he's not involved in the daily activities of life. So therefore, there's no divine intervention. You only believe in what you see, but miracles require you to have faith in something that's beyond what you know. And so there's a faith element that's required because you lack the faith, you don't see the miracles. The second thing is this. Some of you are brought up in churches 
that don't teach over these things. Or maybe you were brought up in a, a church or a religious system that, that told you that that was for them, but it's not for us. That that happened a long time ago, but that's just not how God works today. You were brought up in what is known as a cessationist church. I'm going to use some big words here for a little bit, but don't worry. Um, you get what you pay for, and redemption is free, all right? And so I went to college so you can sound smart. Here, here's what the word cessationism means, that the miraculous or the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They're no longer in operation today. What they would teach is that when the Bible was finished and the final period of punctuation was placed, see like that alliteration, on the last book, the scroll was rolled up, tucked away in some library, the Holy Spirit left and he took all of his gifts with him. And so now we have the Bible, we don't need the miraculous. And I would agree with you if it wasn't for the Bible, because it is the, the Bible in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, that says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And it is the Bible who, who shows me what the early church looked like. And in the early church, it says they were regularly performing signs and wonders that were being done amongst them. And I want to get back to the Bible and do what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the miraculous happen on a daily basis. And so I, I, I reject naturalism. I don't believe in cessationism. Instead, what we would classify ourselves as is a continuationist church, another fancy college word for you, continuationism. Here's what that means. The gifts have continued or the miraculous have continued, that they are still available for people in the church today. That's the position that redemption holds. But there's another category that I would call theoretical continuationists. Say, well, what is that? That you believe that God can in theory, but most likely he won't. You're like, oh, yeah, I believe God can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. But based upon my experiences, that's just not the way it works. Can I just tell you I love you? God don't care what your experiences have been. The only thing that matters is what this word says. And so we are not to judge the word by our experiences, but we are to submit our experiences under the word of God. Okay, and with that mindset, you will not see the miraculous because you're a theoretical continuationist. And theoretical continuationism leads to functional cessationism. You don't see the miracles because you don't believe the miracles, you don't expect the miracles, and you don't pray for the miracles, and that's the reason you don't see the miracles. Jesus says like this, you have not because you ask not. And so for those who pray for the miraculous, regularly see the miraculous in their life. And so I don't want our church to be a, a theoretical continuation of church and a, and a functional cessation of church. I want us to be a biblical church, a church that believes and sees God do amazing things. And I can tell you that because for the longest time, I was a functional cessationist. I believed in theory God could do whatever he wants. But based upon my experiences, God had not. And that was until God performed a miracle in my life. For eight years, me and my wife, Ashley, we struggled with infertility. We had a miscarriage, and then after another six years, we still did not have a child. And I had basically just given up. I mean, I had people, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks, gave the Christian answer, you know. Like, oh, thank you, I believe it, I receive it in Jesus' name, right? Uh, I, I, I got the, the Christian answers, but I just, I just... I just didn't have the faith that God would do that. 
But my wife never gave up praying. She just kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying until one day when I was, I was teaching high school before we planted Redemption and I was walking down the hall and one of my colleagues, she saw me and she, she came up and she said, hey, is Ashley pregnant? And I said, I said, no. And she said, I just had a vision of you with a little girl. The Lord wants me to tell you about this time next year, you're gonna have a daughter. And I was like, I've heard all this before, but thank you. And then I just put it in my pocket and just kept going. And then we went to our, our church plant training as part of our denominational affiliation that we were a part of. And, uh, and, and I went through this training and actually went to the women's breakout session. And in that, they're like, what's your dreams? And Ashley said, I don't even really care about planting a church. I just want to be a mom. Like that was her biggest dream. I just, I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a, a, a mother. And so all the women gathered around her and they, they laid hands on her. And as they began praying for her, there's a woman, her name is Mary Beth Bradshaw. And she prophesied over Ashley. And here's what she said. She said, by the time you plant your church, God will give you a child. And all the women laid hands on her womb and they prayed over her. The Friday before redemption opened its doors, God opened my wife's womb as she conceived our first daughter, Esther. It's a miracle. My daughter is a miracle. You say, why, why do I tell you this? Here, here's why. Because I want to build your faith. I, I want to challenge your thinking. I want to open your mind, and I want you to believe God for big things. You know, we serve a big God, and it's an insult to not believe him for big things. I want you as a, as a church and as a person, I want you to believe God for big things. Like I want you to pray prayers that scare you sometimes, that says, God, if you don't show up, this ain't going to happen. I want you to pray prayers that catch heaven's attention. I want you to pray prayers to where God looks down and says, they really must believe in me. You need to pray prayers that are so big that only God can get the glory for what he does in your life and for that story. you got to believe God for big things. Do you want to see God do big things in your life? You've got to pray some bold prayers. We serve a big God who can do some big things. And I know that each and every one of you, there is something that you are believing for that you've been too afraid to ask. Because what if it doesn't happen? I'm going to challenge that and ask you this question. But what if it does? You say, but what if it, what if it doesn't happen? With that mindset, it never will. But what if it does? We got to believe God for big things because we serve a God who does miracles. So I want to give you four reasons why we see in this text that God does miracles. The first thing is this, is prayers answered. Do you believe that God answers prayers? Then pray. Do you believe that God cares and hears and that God responds then don't be afraid to pray because we see prayers answered. What I always say whenever we're studying through books of the Bible is in order to understand the text, you've got to understand the context. Acts chapter 5 is a summary or an overview of the first several years of the church. It's giving us a behind-the-scenes look at how they operated on a, a daily basis. And in order to understand Acts chapter 5, we actually have to go back to Acts chapter 4. Just as a side note, for those of you who are new to Revelation, this is why we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're not just picking and choosing verses out of context. We want to understand the text, so therefore we have to have the entire context. And this goes back to Acts chapter 4, when this church prayed this crazy, dangerous prayer. 
They had just been arrested, thrown in prison, and they were told, if you don't quit talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And so what do they do? They get out, and they run back, and they have a prayer meeting. They're in a prayer meeting. And they gather everybody together, and they're like, here's what's going to go on. What do we do? And they said, let's pray that God would allow us to continue to preach the word with boldness. And they gather together. Here's what it says in verse 29. It says, in the middle of the prayer, they said, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the holy name of your servant Jesus. They gathered together, the spirit fell upon them, and then the place was shaken, and they continued to preach the word of God with all boldness. And as they're, they're praying, not only for boldness, but they're praying for miracles. God, stretch out your hand to heal. And then what are we reading right now here in Acts chapter 5? God is answering that prayer. God is responding. Listen, the prayers you prayed in one chapter of your life are going to be answered in the next chapter of your life. Just because you don't see it now doesn't mean it ain't going to happen. You keep praying and you keep praying and what you prayed in one chapter will be answered in that next chapter of your life. Jesus said it like this. You have not because you ask not. Ask, seek, and knock and the door will be opened unto you. We need to build our confidence when it comes to our, our prayer lives. Here's another way that Jesus said it in John 14, 14. Here's what he says. If you ask of me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you you believe that? Do you believe that that, that Jesus has the ability to answer and to, to respond to the prayers that we pray? And I love this. There's no qualifications on what Jesus will or could not do. He doesn't say, if you ask anything, but not that. That's too big for me. If you ask anything in my name, and then it's like those infomercials you watch, like whenever they're like, try this new miracle drug. Do you have heart disease? Take this. It'll cure all of your problems. Or it'll give you migraines, indigestion, nausea, diarrhea, or death. (laughs) There's no qualifiers. It's just an invitation. The invitation is, is to pray and to watch God move in your life. Here's the way that I put it in your notes. Show me your prayer list and I'll show you what God's about to do in your life. What are you praying for? What are you believing for? That's what God wants to do and can do in your life as well. What's on your prayer list? That's what God can do in your life. Your life is only limited by the size of your prayers. Do you believe you have a big God? Then pray some big, bold prayers. Because we serve a God who loves to answer prayers. Like, do you want to see... Uh, someone healed, then you got to pray for that. Do you want to see the miraculous? Then, then pray for the miraculous. Do you want to see God move? Then pray for God to move. Do you want to see the seat next to you filled with somebody that you know and love come and know and love Jesus? Then pray for their souls. Do you want to see the baptism tank that never runs dry? Then pray for the Lord of the harvest. Do you want to see God move in might? Then you pray to the mighty God who loves to move. Do you want to see uh, miracles or healings or people be set free, your marriage be restored? Do you want to see your body be made whole? Do you want to see that new job, well then quit just working for that job, start praying for that job, and watch God provide in ways that only God can provide. Show me that prayer list, and I'll tell you what God wants to do in your life. I, I, don't, I, think we're, I still think we're a little bit more theoretical continuationist than actually believe that God moves. Feel in the room that there's a, a, a lack of faith right now at what I'm teaching. 
Because you believe that God can do it for somebody else, but you don't believe God wants to do it for you. You have more faith for somebody else than you have faith in Jesus. Y'all have been so discouraged, haven't y'all? I just, I just feel it as, I, as I'm teaching right now. You've been so discouraged. God's brought you here to reignite that faith and encourage you. We serve a mighty God who is mighty to answer your prayers. The first thing is that, that he answers prayers. The second thing is this, is public ministry. Look what, look what it says right here. It says in this next section, it says, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Like in Acts, as we've been studying what it means to, to be the church, there's this idea that's kind of sweeping through portions of American evangelicalism that says, big church, bad, small church, good. Listen, God doesn't care about the size of the church. He matters about the heart of the church. I've been a part of churches that were 10 people for five years. And, and, and Redemption is the largest church I've ever been a part of. But I've visited friends who pastor churches in the thousands, and they have some amazing churches. I've also been to a church of a couple dozen, and that's probably the most toxic place I've ever been in my life. It's not the size of the church, it's the heart of the church. Because, because here, here's what we see, is that they didn't just meet in homes, but they also met in Solomon's portico. Acts chapter 2 gives us a better picture where it says that they were meeting in the temple and they were meeting in homes. Day by day, breaking bread, receiving with gladness and joy hearts. What's the answer? Is it big church or small church? Is it public gatherings or is it private meetings and homes? The answer is it's both. This is why small groups are so important. Sign up for a small group after service, small group Sunday, out there in the wall. Join a group because relationship doesn't happen in a lobby. It happens when you do life together. So get in some relationship. That's where discipleship really takes place. But it says that they were, they were doing both. They were meeting in the temple, and they were meeting in homes. Look, look at this. Here's Solomon's portico. Let me show you a picture of this. This is the temple. That section right there is what is known as Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico. Now, to us, this doesn't really scale, but you know, the temple was 15 football fields in size. It says here that they were growing by multitudes. By Acts chapter 2, the church was 3,000 people. By Acts chapter 5, it was 5,000 people, men, not including women and children. So upwards of 20,000 Christians within the first couple of years of the church. And where would they meet? Yeah, sure, they would meet in homes, but they also met here, Solomon's portico, that would be able to seat over about 5,000 people. As Peter would stand back there and he would preach. And here, here's the, the answer that, that we need to understand is this, is that in order to have a healthy, thriving, growing relationship, yes, it is to be personal, but it is never to be private. They had public ministry. Listen, people all the time are like, I don't need to go to church because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need to be at church because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. Listen, you don't need a parachute to jump out of an airplane, but it sure does help. Come on, right? So what we understand is you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't need to be a private relationship. Imagine me and Ashley have been married, and I, I, I go out and I take my wedding ring off, and I, I never talk about her or, 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 or post her on social media. Do you think I'm a good husband? No. Because, because I have a personal relationship with her, but I've kept it private. Then why do we treat God and our faith the same way? 
that they were public with their faith. They're telling testimonies of what God has done and what they have seen, and they're preaching through the word of God, and they're, they're, they're growing as a church, and they're doing public ministry. Listen, your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it was never meant to be private. You can share your faith and tell the world, and you can share the gospel, invite people to church, bring them to small groups, sit down, have coffee with them, and tell them what God has done in your life. And lead other people to Jesus. Jesus says that we are to be his witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And here in Acts chapter 5, that is exactly what they are doing. They are being his witnesses. Christianity is personal, yes, but it is never meant to be private. The, the third thing is this, power displayed. Look how this text breaks down. Verse 15, it says, So that they even carried out their sick into streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by the least of his shadow, might fall on some of them. The people were also gathered into the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? You mean that there, his, his shadow simply fell on people and they were healed? That just doesn't happen. Let me remind you again. No, it doesn't. That's why it's called a, it's a miracle. In the Bible, we see over 20 miracles in the book of Acts. In the book of Luke, Jesus performed 16. Jesus performed miracles, yes. But the church today is to continue the ministry and the work of Jesus. And as we continue the, the work of Jesus, one of the ways that we witness about Jesus is not only in our preaching, but also in our demonstration of the gospel and power. As the church grows, the presence of God draws close, the miraculous will continue to increase. And here's what I, I looked up this week, and I, I found that as people are like, ah, I'm skeptical about that. Well, according to psychology today, three out of four medical doctors believe in the possibility of the miraculous. And actually, in that study, it said 60% of medical professionals have seen and witnessed things that they cannot describe. Where medicine failed, divine intervention succeeded. Listen, I'm not against medicine. Like, take medicine. The author of the book of Acts is actually a physician. His name was Luke. He was a doctor. But yet, there's just sometimes when medicine cannot succeed, that's where God steps in and does what is impossible. I was talking with a doctor who goes to our church. I spent an hour on the phone with him this week, and he was telling me testimony after testimony and miracle after miracle of the, the things that he has seen in his near 40 years of practice here in Southeast Texas. And he's like, I've, I've seen and witnessed things that I cannot explain. As a medical professional, I can only say it's a miracle. And he's a believer, and he attends our church. He's, he's a member here, and he serves our community and he prays for every single patient that he has. He, he told me about a study from San Francisco where they had uh, two groups. And one group, they were both had heart issues and they were taking heart medication and they were testing it out. One trial group received the medication and the other trial group received medication, but they had an intercessory prayer team praying over each person's name. The people with the prayer, they had 30% less adverse effects than the people who did not receive prayer. It's the power of prayer. He told me when he first became a doctor, he, he moved here in the 80s, and he was working during the AIDS outbreak. And he had 10 HIV patients, and one of them developed pneumonia. They were on their deathbed, and there was no hope for their survival. And he said, I tried everything that I could, and the medicine was just not working. So I got on my knees, and I had compassion well up, and I took her hand, and I said, Jesus, heal her. Two days later, she got up, walked out of the hospital, completely healed. 
He told me another story of a, of a time he prayed for a person and they were, they were healed of cancer. I said, what do you tell a colleague who doesn't believe that? He said, I, I, don't, I don't try to convince them. I let the miracles speak for themselves. Because if Jesus couldn't convince an unbelieving world that his miracles were signs pointing to him, then how am I ever going to convince somebody else? But he told me story after story of how God had done miracles and healing, and it, and, it, and it built my faith. And right now there's some people in the room where you're just like, like, well, I know somebody who prayed and God didn't answer. Listen, I believe that God 100% answers every single prayer that you pray. You say, well, pastor, I, I, I prayed prayers that, that God didn't answer. I, I believe God answers 100% of every single prayer that you pray because God is a father. And as a dad, I know that I cannot ignore my kids for that long. So God answers like any other parent would, three ways. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says later. Like my daughter, if she, wake up, if she woke up this morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, and she's like, Daddy, can I get a hug? What's my answer going to be? You need to sign up for a small group and get some counselor, get some, get some discipleship in your life. Yes, if my daughter wakes up and she says, Daddy, can I get a hug? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> if my daughter wakes up and she says, Daddy, can we light off fireworks in the living room? What's the answer? No. no. You might say yes, but I mean. <laughs> if my daughter wakes up and she says, Daddy, can we go swimming? What's the answer? Later. Later. I believe God answers every one of your prayers. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes later. But he never ignores it. And in the subject of healing, I'm going to go a little bit further and stretch your faith a bit. I believe that God's will is to heal every single Christian. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I know so-and-so prayed and they, they weren't healed. They will be later. Every believer in Christ will be healed, if not in this one, in the next life. At the resurrection of the dead, the second coming, the new heavens and the new earth, you will receive a new body. And it will be perfect without, without any pain. And sometimes that happens later, but sometimes it happens now. And for that, we rejoice. Listen, it's not my job to make excuses for God. He's the boss. I'm not. That's above my pay grade to sit here and explain to you why some people get healed and some people can't. That ain't my job. I don't get paid enough to do that. Here, here's my job. You know what my job is? My job is to pray. It's God's job to heal. Right, I'm not going to sit there and tell God how to do his job. Right? He, he told me how to do mine. He said, pray, 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 pray. Your job is to pray. Your job is to pray and trust me. Your job is to pray and believe in me. Your job is to pray and have faith in me. My job is to pray. I'm going to let God handle that result because I can't heal anybody. God's the one who heals. I don't perform a miracle. I'm just a mortal. Like, but God is the one who can do that, and he does that through me sometimes. But my, my job is to pray and to pray and to pray. And here's what I've discovered. The more people I pray for, the more people I see healed. If I pray for 100 people and one gets healed, you know what? That's one more than if I never prayed for anybody. And my faith builds and increases over time to where then I say, God, you were faithful then. You'll be faithful now. I've seen it before. I believe you could do it again. And I have the faith and the belief to pray and trust that God will do what God does. My job is simply to pray. It's God's job to handle the results. 
And so we, we look at this text and we see that there's three miraculous events that are happening here in this moment. So what are the three miraculous events? It says that, that, that there was people who were, there was miracles that took place, the shadow falling over people. That's a miracle. It says they were bringing the sick and they were healed. How many, how many does it say were healed? Do you believe the Bible or not? Like I can sit here and get into a bunch of theological gymnastics with you, but I mean, I'm just telling you, like, just take the Bible at face value. Here's what it says. It says, verse 12, it says, they were happening regularly. The last verse says, and they were all. And then the last one was that demonic spirits were cast out. So does that still happen today? Do miracles still happen today? Absolutely. And let me share with you some miracles that we've seen in our church. First miracle that I was reminded of this week is... Andy and Holly Joyner, they're in the room right now. He's an elder at our church. She can raise her hand and testify that this is true. Early in the beginning of our church, she had a dream. And in the dream, God said, anoint with oil, have the elders anoint you with oil, lay hands on you that you might be healed. She was going through infertility for years, told she couldn't have kids. Woke up that morning, came forward, laid hands on her. Within a couple weeks, right? Same day she conceived. Three boys right now in the back. <laughs> Talk to her after service. She'll tell you God heals. God performs miracles. Another story is Josie and Tristan. They're also go to our church. They, they just had a baby boy. They came forward at first Wednesday, every single first Wednesday, to pray over their child. And the doctors were shocked because the baby is born with with two knots in the umbilical cord all the way up to the top. Didn't see it on any ultrasound that there was a problem. Doctor said, your baby should have been born dead. And they said, but we prayed every single first Wednesday and Sunday morning in those altars, and God, God saved our child. Doctors were actually taking pictures because they hadn't seen it before, so it was a miracle. Another story of a miracle in our church is our own next-gen director, J.C. and Dustin Selman. Their daughter, Emmy, was born without a fully formed functioning brain, and the, and the top of her skull was missing. Doctors told her, you need to abort, you need to terminate. There's no chance at life. But JC and Dustin, they, they believed, and they chose life instead anyway. And for nine months as a church, we rallied around them in these altars every single Sunday and first Wednesday. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed that God would do a miracle. Doctors said, you will never be able to take your baby out of this hospital. They got to take their daughter, Emmy, home. Here's a picture of Emmy right here. She lived six days. JC wanted me to tell you that technically it was seven, um, <laughs> seven days before she passed away. You say, well, she still died. Where's the miracle in that? The miracle is what happened when our church watched her faith. The miracle is what Emmy's life meant to all of us who journeyed down that path with her. Because here's 
the miracle. It's not what happened. It's what happened next. Because J.C. and Dustin's both, their entire family became Christians, became members. And J.C. got to baptize her mom. In seven days, J.C. led more people to Jesus than some of us. <laughs> Emmy led more people to Jesus. Uh, what, what, about, what about healings? Did, does God still heal today? Yes. Let me tell you some stories. I just got one after first service. A woman started coming to our church. She was not a Christian. She was an atheist when she first started coming. She was in a terrible car crash. And in that car crash, she had rods and pins all stuck through her legs. The doctor said, you will never be able to walk without assistance again. She gave her life to Jesus, came forward on a first Wednesday prayer meeting, and the Lord healed her miraculously. Today, she's walking around fine today. One of our overseers, Michael Moore, he's my pastor. He came and preached for us over the summer. He fell off a cliff in Mexico 50 feet, broke nearly every bone in his body. Doctors said that he, he, he would be basically paralyzed, crippled for life. Had a prayer meeting, had camp. They laid hands on him. And what the doctor said would be 15 weeks before you're able, even able to like move functionally. At that prayer meeting, he got up and ran around the room. Totally healed today. You saw him preach for us. Ain't nothing wrong with him at all. God healed him. I have story after story. I mean, I'll tell you a few more. Um, there's a, a family in our church. They, they had an exchange student come live with them. And he was a high school kid, and he got in a car crash. And in that car wreck, he actually fractured his arm in multiple places. As a church, every first Wednesday, we hold up their prayer cards, and we pray over a prayer need. And we lifted that young man up in prayer, went back to the doctor. The doctor said, there's no evidence of a break on your arm. God heals. God heals. Let me tell you uh, one more. Uh, this is uh, Jerry K. Snyder. I try to give you names so that way you can go talk to them. If you don't believe me, go ask. Just like the doctor said, let the miracles speak for themselves. She's, she's here right now. She's serving in kids' church. She was born 26 weeks uh, premature, right? And because of that, was one, that's a miracle in itself. But she had to get a lot of blood transfusions. And this is in the 80s. And one of the transfusions she got, she contracted hepatitis C. As a, as a small child, as, a, as an infant, premature, probably weighing not even two pounds, got a blood transfusion with hepatitis C. Sexually transmitted disease as an infant. Doctor said, it's going to destroy your reproductive system. You're going to have this for life. There is no cure for it. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. When she was 19 years old, she was driving one day and she, she said she heard the Lord speak, you're healed. She went into the doctor, the next checkup, an unbelieving doctor who said, you will never be cured. Ran the blood work up in the panel and said, there's no evidence that you've ever had hepatitis C. Like that, Healed. He can. He does. He's powerful. Believe and pray. And then number three, it's demonic. 
we are living in probably one of the greatest increase of demonic activity that I have ever witnessed in my life. It's almost 40 years or maybe over the last 100. You know why? Because people are not naturalistic atheists anymore. People believe that there is a power and they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Fastest growing religion in America right now is witchcraft and Wiccan. Witch, witch talk has over a billion views on TikTok. Americans spent $1 billion last year on crystals. And the, the popularity of things like yoga and meditation and Eastern religions and chantic aligning chakras, all that is is opening doors to demonic. And here's what people think. They think, oh, this is, brings healing, this brings peace. And you know what that is? God, Satan don't care if you're spiritual because there's unclean spirits too. And he'll give you a healing as long as you don't look for Jesus. He will give a miracle to you. He, Satan will provide miracles as long as it keeps you out of heaven and keeps you bound in the demonic that you're in. We are seeing not only an increase of the demonic, we're also seeing an increase in deliverance. We have seen at our church, through our freedom ministries, through our inner healing, people being set free because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where the sun sets free, they are free indeed. Listen, church, we need to get back to what the Bible says and recognize that there is a world outside that is longing for power. They're looking for healing. They're looking for the miraculous. And guys, we have the answer. It is found in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is life in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is miracles to be done in the name of Jesus. We have the power that comes from the Lord. And here's what Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, the church does not need more programs. We need more power. We don't need more marketing. We need more miracles. We don't need more advertising. We need more anointing. We don't just need to look cool. We need to be the church who goes out in boldness and in power and witnesses and tell the world that Jesus has conquered death and Jesus can resurrect the dead tell the world that Jesus has overcome sin tell the world that he is powerful and mighty and glorious and holy and worthy to be saved power has been given listen the Holy Spirit gives you access to a power you don't possess on your own you can't but he fills you up and he flows through you so you can see God do what only he can do in your life. Do you want to see the miraculous? Get in God's presence. Do you want to see the power? Then get in God's presence. Do you want to see God move? Then get in God's presence. Because the more you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to overflow. And the more you pray, the more miracles you'll see. Oh God, do it again. I'm tired of playing church as usual. Some of you say, but this isn't my background. This is the way that I was brought up. Listen, lovingly, can I just tell you, it doesn't matter what your background was. It only matters what the Bible says. I'm gonna read you a quote. I didn't read it first service, but 
It's powerful, and it comes from one of my favorite theologians of the last hundred years. His name's Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was actually a medical doctor before he became a pastor. He wrote a book called Preachers and Preaching, which is the reason I became a pastor today. And he was a Calvinist. And he was a cessationist for the majority of his ministry. And I know we could get in debates about things we agree and things we don't disagree, but I, I'll tell you that I, that, that I respect this man. And at the end of his ministry, he lamented going so long without demonstrations of power or believing that God still heals and moves today. Here's what he wrote at the end of his life. He said, it's perfectly clear to me now that the New Testament times, that the gospel was authenticated by ways of signs, wonders, and miracles. Was this meant only to be truth for them and not for us? The scriptures never anywhere say these things, not ever. A miracle is something that only God can explain Men can produce evangelistic campaigns, but they cannot, nor have they ever produced a miracle on their own. We can produce a number of converts, and thank God for that, and that goes on regularly in churches every Sunday. But what is needed today is far too great for that. The need today is for an authentication and a demonstration of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, and the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his Holy Spirit upon us and fill us as he continued to fill the early church. Because God can do in one moment what men with their plans could never achieve in a lifetime. He said, Lord, do it again. Where signs and wonders are present, evangelistic zeal increases. And while signs and wonders are not present in a church, it diminishes. Which leads to the, the fourth thing, like, okay, great, Byron, like, that's fine and all, but, but why? Why? Because the purpose is fulfilled. Look at verse 14, what does it say? It says, and many more believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women, multitudes, thousands of people came to faith because of the supernatural move of God that was happening in their church. What is the meaning of the miraculous? The meaning is to confirm the message. The, the message is salvation. The message is Jesus. The message is the gospel. And when signs and wonders are present, it catches people's attention and it points them to a savior who can change their life. That if he's powerful enough to heal somebody, he is strong enough to save somebody. No matter where you're at, what you've done, where you've gone through, there is a God who loves, who cares, who will deliver, who will heal, who will transform your life from the inside out and change you like nothing's ever been changed before. Listen, the miracles confirm the message. The signs point you to a savior and wonders lead to your witness. The message, my friends, is, is this, that, 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 that your biggest problem in your life is not your body. Your biggest problem in your life is not your mind. The biggest problem in your life is your sin. If you're not a Christian, you are separated from God. You're in your sins, bound and destined to spend eternity in hell, separated from him, 
without his love, his presence, and only conscious eternal torment forever. Like I told you, we're a Bible church, so I just say whatever the Bible says, so that's what the Bible says. For the wages of sin is death. You're dead. If you're not a Christian, you are dead in your sins. Dead people are not healed. Dead people are resurrected. And here's what the Bible says, that when you give your life to Jesus, Acts chapter six, you are resurrected into a new life. The biggest miracle you will ever witness is the day that God saves you of your sins. Because here, here's what salvation is. Salvation is what was lost is found. What was blind can see. What was dead is alive. The old is gone, the new has come. Your sins are cast as far as the east is to the west. You have been made new. You get a new nature, a new identity, a new destiny, a new Lord, a new Savior, a new purpose, a new path, a new eternity. He wants to make you new. That's the greatest miracle you will ever experience. Does God do miracles? He does because he saves souls every single day.